Hey, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and that you spent it with uh, family and friends and that you took maybe the time to reflect uh, in your own way what you're all, what all you're thankful for. Uh, for those of you that listened to the last episode with Gabe Cruz, thank you. have gotten some great feedback. I hope that you listened to that story and benefited from it. I'm still very interested to know what you all think. Uh, about Gabe's story or if you have any follow-up questions, of course, he is available on LinkedIn and knowing him, he'd be more than happy to answer any of those questions. Today, I have the uh, a special interview with another friend of mine, Peter Reyes, and he's a friend of both ours and Gabe, but he too has a very, uh, what I'll call like a non-traditional, uh, a non-traditional story. And it's uh, full of tons of up and ups and downs, uh, highs and lows, and uh, fun fact, uh, the two of us uh, have been working on stuff together, sometimes with a heavy, with a heavy, with a healthy amount, and maybe sometimes it is heavy, a healthy amount of tension. And we discussed that as well uh, in this interview. So looking forward to your feedback, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, Peter. So uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for taking the time to get on this call. And just so that we get an idea, again, this is the day after Thanksgiving. Can you let us know where you're at right now? Yeah, no, and sure. And then thank you for, for you know, even inviting me to this. this is awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's the day after Thanksgiving. And currently I am in Honolulu, Hawaii. <laughs> okay. And, and what are you doing there? So you're, you're, you're a, Hawaiian. You're Hawaiian. There you go. No. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't like to advertise it a whole lot around uh, some some people, but yeah, I, this is part of my my territory for for work. I uh, I cover basically everything south of Sacramento all the way down to San Diego, mm-hmm. and uh, also Hawaii is part of that territory. So uh, on Monday um, here in a couple of days, uh, I start work down here. So I figure I'd take a couple of days prior since I'm going to be out here anyways, and um, yeah, took some vacation uh, right before uh, having to go work. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It kind of worked out. I was like, well, you know, you, when we first started talking about putting this together, you're like, well, I got this break, uh, you know, when I go to Hawaii. And I'm like, okay, that's perfect, too, because right now, like, Alyssa and her mom are out doing uh, shopping. Actually, they did shopping, Black Friday shopping this morning, and then they're doing, like, Uh-oh. nails and stuff. So they got all beat up. They came and took naps, and then they, <laughs> they went to go get their nails done. So, look, man, uh, again, you know, uh, again, thanks for coming on. I really wanted to be you be one of you and, and along a couple other people. So, hey, Gabe did beat you to the punchline, by the way. I was able to line up his interview first. But I want there's a few people that I went to school with that we all have kind of non-traditional stories or interesting stories. Right. And I think that's part of the reason why we maybe get along so well. And we've known each other for such a long time. So as I was, you know, working through this podcast and it, the, the la- a bunch of the episodes have just been me kind of talking about different topics and I was like, Hey, I finally got a few toys, you know, computer and stuff. And I was like, all right, time to do some interviews. And you and Gabe and Mike and some other folks were kind of the first first people that I talked about. And so let's go ahead and start off, you know, Hey, give me, I'm very interested in folks hearing about uh, our lives before we even became professionals. And look, we'll get, you kind of hinted at, at a job that you have and heck, you know, you got this territory that's Hawaii. So I'm not going to feel too bad for you when you start talking about the difficulties of your job, but let's go ahead and start, you know, from the beginning. Can you give me an idea of, you know, how you grew up? You know, do you have any siblings, your parents, that kind of thing? Let's kind of start there. Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up uh, in a town just uh, south of uh, Chicago, 
uh, called Joliet, Illinois. And uh, my parents, uh, so they, they uh, immigrated to the U.S. Uh, when they were in their teens, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, and they came uh, from Mexico, uh, Jalisco and Michoacan, and they immigrated to actually L.A., to, to California. And um, from there, uh, basically, my brother's uncle said, hey, there's work uh, out, in, out in Chicago at a, at a quarry. Um, you know, Vulcan uh, materials, uh, which I can loop back around the, uh, that story. And they went to, to Chicago and they uh, had me. Um, and I always say, you know, to people that don't know where Joliet, Illinois is, is if you ever seen the movie Blues Brothers, uh, that jail in the beginning uh, <laughs> where uh, uh, they get out, um, I grew up mm, like a mile away from that jail. I, didn't, so. <laughs> I did not even know this, man. Like, I, I knew you were, you know, you, the Joliet was, I didn't know that there was a, Ties to Blues Brothers. I'm gonna have to go back and look at that. So, Joliet Jake, man, yeah. So, grew out there, and it was. I always say I grew up in a very diverse uh, environment. It was like in the sense of 30, 30, 30 is what I say. So it was 30 percent white, 30 percent black, 30 percent basically Mexican. Okay. Um, and, and so there was only two high schools uh, where I grew up. You either went to Central or you went to West, and West was predominantly you know Caucasian folks and. Um, Central was, I mean, it was, it's a, I'll have to send you a picture of, a, of this high school. It's, yeah. I mean, it looks like a castle um, okay. because there's a lot of limestone. So there's a kind of going back to the quarries. That was a big uh, uh, material uh, that, that they would, all the buildings, courthouse, you know, all kind of stuff are made out of that. It's really beautiful. And this big, enormous high school, I forgot how many students were actually there. Yeah, I grew up through there. Uh, I was always involved. Um, student council, student council president. Uh, Let, let's back up a little bit, right? So you mentioned your parents. I think you kind of hinted at what they what they did. And, and so I like to talk about, hey, and the reason I, I like to ask this question is just for, spoiler alert, you became an engineer, but I, I want to, uh, in, you know, kind of talk about what did your parents do growing up? What was their jobs? What were their, you know, were they professionals, laborers? What, what, what was, what's their background? Yeah, they, uh, so my, my dad, he was a... Um, eventually really became a foreman uh, at a quarry. Okay. So he worked for Vulcan Materials pretty much his entire life. Um, so getting up early before, you know, I was even up and getting back home like really late. Um, and so he, at the time, yeah, he was just kind of in charge of some people and trucks coming in, dumping loads and things like that. Okay. Um, was it shift work? I guess, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I, I believe so. Okay. Um, and then my mom, she didn't really have like an actual like full-time job or anything. She was kind of a, a housewife, but she was always the the side hustler uh, of the family. Okay. And I think that's where I get my entrepreneurial spirit. Um, so she was always like, you know, hey, we should you know, try to buy another home and make that into investment. So she was always into like property management. And so um, she was looking always at different deals and things like that. And did she have background in that or did someone, you know? No, 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 not at all. No, it's just hustler's mentality, I think. You just picked um, up this, hey, I want to get into some into the rental business or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. and on top of that, she, uh, her and uh, her and my dad both had um, like a video and photography business, actually. So my dad would do the video recording. My mom would do the photography and she would sell um, the invitations. So this is, there's this enormous, enormous book that just had all these sample invitations. And I remember like brides to be or quinceaneras, like they would come to the house and uh, look at just different invitations and stuff. I just, it's kind of taking me back. <laughs> and, and was this like, and, and this, again, this is rooting from your mom's ideas and your dad went along mm -hmm. or was it the two of them kind of 
okay, this is the, the, the quarry money is the secure money, but we still got to have a side hustle or what was that dynamic like? Yeah, it was just my mom. Like she was like, no, we're going to do this. <laughs> she, she always wanted to, you know, um, make sure we were okay, you know, financially. So yeah. whether it was trying to find a property and, and renting something out or, you know, doing this photography and video stuff that, I mean, she put us to work. So I would, I was like B-roll, you know, for my dad mm-hmm. um, at these like quinceaneras and weddings. So you have this like 10, 12 year old running a camera at like midnight at a quinceanera. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Awesome. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. So, okay. So you're going to school, right? Okay. So you, you, you got your dad doing this, you know, foreman work, your mom, that side hustler and, and just, that, that's awesome. That's amazing. And so you're, you're in school and you kind of hinted, Hey, you're in, in high school and let's focus on the high school years. You, what kind of a high school student were you? So a super uh, interesting uh, part part of it is, so I, w- I was in like gifted in elementary school. And from there, I went, it was such a weird experience for me because I would take a bus every Tuesday uh, to a completely different school. They called it up in the hill. And around that area, it was very dangerous. But then you had this really uh, prestigious school at the top. Uh, I think it was a Forest Park. I think that's what it was called. And it was just an amazing experience. It was not a regular classroom setting. You, yeah, it was all project based. You didn't have any grades. Uh, and so it was really different from the school that I was at. Um, but from that, all my friends that were there, I eventually met them up in middle school. And I wasn't, um, I think the gifted program stopped at a certain time or something like that. Yeah. And so I remember uh, going from that to seeing them in middle school and then making that transition to high school is you, you had to take a test to see where you were going to land as far as like math and the science, I think, um, before you got to your freshman year. And I never took that. So I was actually with my older brother uh, in Chicago and I was having so much fun over there that I just kind of ignored that. And so what ended up happening is I got put into uh, pre-algebra freshman year, okay. uh, even though that was something that you know I was more advanced in. But I just didn't have, I didn't associate that as, as important. I, I wasn't, it wasn't a value um, to me at the time. And so what ended up happening is I, I was really bored in that class. I was like, uh, but I, I wasn't taking school very seriously at the time. And it wasn't until I saw my friends that I was so gifted in and they were like in algebra two or geometry. And so I was like, wait a minute, um, I know I'm way smarter than these guys. Like, what, why, what am I doing? So what ended up happening is I actually took like summer school at the junior college to basically catch up. Um, so I ended up doing probably more math than any high school student at that time. So I ended up doing pre-algebra, then algebra, algebra two, um, trigonometry, geometry, um, pre-calculus. And then uh, my senior year is the year that I caught up with, with calculus with them. So <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, it, it's just one of those things you life lessons, I guess. But was this one of those? Okay, so you you know you're seeing these gaps, you're seeing this, or you know about this opportunity in the gifted program. You're seeing these gaps, and 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 you know maybe if I take the community college, I can catch up. Was this all you, or were your parents involved? Or was there some uh, teacher that was you know mentoring you, or, or kind, of, kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, honestly, it was it was a lot of me, and then seeing that I knew that I'm better than that. Okay. Um, my, my parents never really forced me, you know, to do, oh, you have to do well in school or anything like that. Like, I mean, they, they, both of them, they have, you know, an elementary school level of education. 
um, for it was just how it was when they grew up. Um, and but so they didn't really know, understand. They just knew, kind of like college. Like they didn't really know, but they knew that they heard of it, and they, you know, it's like they they know that that was a good thing that I should probably do. But they were never like you know down our throats and like, oh, you have to get all AIDS. Like I never felt that pressure from my parents that I know some other people have. Okay. But what you did, but you did see him working. Do you think it came from? Hey, I mean, it's you know, you were working since you were twelve and involved with some of that. Did uh, was there anything uh, that mo- motivation from that, or? I, I think it was more just making making them proud, right? They they worked um, their entire lives, you yeah. know, and the whole point is uh, to make uh, our lives a little bit easier than it was for them, yeah. uh, and it really was, you know. Um, so I think it was just that, just making sure that. Um, you know, I, I made him proud in, in, in some form or the other. Yeah, because one thing like, and, and, and you've, you've heard some of this, right? So, I mean, my dad, I mean, I worked with my dad since, you know, since I was in middle school too. And, and you know, he had gotten sick and we ended up selling stuff in the flea market. And my mom was always like making crafts. And I, I you know, I can I can totally relate to the, the mom being the side hustler because she was always like selling Avon or making mm-hmm. barrettes and, and bows for Fiesta and then the mums during homecoming. And I mean, she was always, she was making, and she was a very, like, she was, it seems like she could make uh, dresses and stuff. So quinceañeras and stuff, she would make, and weddings, she would make bridesmaids dresses. And so she was always side hustling. But one thing, and so again, both of my parents, my mom, uh, she went to like fifth grade, sixth grade. And my dad went to to high school, but never graduated or the equivalent of high school in Mexico. But one thing he always kind of I remember when I was in in high school, he would always say or have conversations and say, hey, like past high school, I can't help you. Meaning like I that world is foreign to me. So if you're going to succeed in it, you're going to have to figure it out, which, again, is part probably part of the reason why I didn't go to school uh, right away. But it's kind of it's kind of. In, to, as I'm hearing you tell your story, it's like, well, you had enough awareness to say, no, there's some things that I can take advantage here and, and, and kind of progress. So let's go back. So you're 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 in high school, and you mentioned something about you were involved, and you, I think you said student council. Can you tell me about that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, and you, you just uh, reminded me. You know, you're talking about like, and was there, was there anybody that inspired you or pushed you or anything like that? And uh, I'm reminded. Uh, you know, my, one of my best friends growing up, um, he, he was the one that, that told me about like, Hey, have you, you should try this or you should do this. Like he, his, he, his family had gone, his older brothers had gone to college and all that stuff. And so he was able to share a lot of stuff that I just didn't know. Um, okay. you know, nobody in my family at that time had, had been at the university or you know, nobody had a, a college degree or anything. Um, so he, he helped me a lot. Um, like learn, there was a scholarship basically that I got and it was because of him. Cause he told me, Hey, you should apply to this. It's only one page. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a simple um, application. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we were, we were both uh, pretty lazy. I think uh, high school was really easy, you know, for us. Yeah. And, um, uh, it, it just, um, was something that uh, he shared and ended up getting, um, but throughout, throughout high school, um, yeah, I was involved with science team, uh, was involved with, uh, with student council and, um, I, I think I've always been attracted to working with people, um, doing team things. And uh, I, it was just, I didn't have a, a passion for something specific, but I had a passion yeah. for working with people and I really liked that. Okay. And so now, so, and, you, and this was all in Joliet, right? This was all mm-hmm. throughout yep. high school and stuff. And, and so you start getting, you know, closer to graduation. Uh, did you know you were going to go to college right away? Did you know what you were going to do in college? What was that, maybe that senior year like? 
if you can even remember. Yeah, I had no, no clue, no clue whatsoever. Okay. Um, again, it was this idea. I was like, well, it sounds like a good idea. Um, I should probably do that. All of my friends are doing it kind of thing. Um, but again, I never felt pressure, you know, from, from my parents to go and to do that. Um, and again, it was my friend, Chris, he, uh, said I should, you know, he's like, Hey, you're smart. You, you know, you're good at math, you know, uh, you should apply for the scholarship. And it was, uh, the George Washington Carver scholarship for, for Iowa state university. And literally it was just one page and a lot of it had to do with your academics and, um, your, was it your PSAT? I think that, that um, yeah, yeah, you took out of your junior year. Yeah. And yeah, ended up, and both him and I ended up getting that scholarship um, to go to, to Iowa State University. Okay. Um, but I, I did do one trip. Um, there is a Lorenzo de Zavala Institute or something like that, the National Hispanic Institute. And that was like a Lorenzo de Zavala, like summer thing. So, you know, trends coming in right so from about our involvement with minds and chef at this point but this this was this like summer camp um the summer before your senior year it was up in chicago it was like at DePaul university and it was like a, a two-day thing two three-day thing and it was a challenge it was like a job um or like a, i'm sorry like a competition yeah and you're working in teams with people from all over um, and I just thought that was like one of the most surreal experiences. I've never, ever been involved with anything like that. And it just kind of opened my eyes a little bit uh, about, Hey, there's this thing called university. You can meet up a, a bunch of different people from all over. And from that, I got a college visit to, um, Butler university out in Indianapolis. Okay. And they basically picked up all these schools or all these kids from these schools around the area. They shuttled you out to Indianapolis. And specifically me, they had targeted me for a, a dual degree program. Um, it was an electrical engineering and computer engineering degree program that they had with uh, Purdue. So I would get uh, two degrees, basically, um, by going to in these, these two schools. And they gave me a scholarship. And because it's a private university, I was like, that doesn't even it's not even going to put a dent into it. It was extremely expensive. Oh, the, oh, um, the, so, so the scholarship wasn't going to cover the full tuition. It was no, just, okay. not that one. There's no, like I a ten percent off coupon. You, basically, it's like the um, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't enough, and and I just didn't. Indianapolis also they they took us to the mall, and I just remember thinking like there is not a single Hispanic person here. Like it was, it was just so weird. This uh, is your really junior outside. year. So you're a junior and you're like, Oh my God, there's not a lot of uh, Hispanics here. Yeah. And, and this is, I mean, if you go to the mall, Joel, yeah, you're going to see every, it was very diverse. I was so, I think I've always been very fortunate growing up like that. Um, so that was another thing I, I uh, did an overnight there with one of the college students. And that was uh, an electrical engineer. He was part of the SAE society of automotive engineers. And uh, so I got introduced to that and it was like, I mean, this is cool, but I can't afford this, you know? Okay. And so maybe a few months later is when I applied for that scholarship when I got, it was a, it was a full ride, full pay tuition scholarship to Iowa State. Okay. And again, and, and this whole time, again, you're, you're, you're looking at these programs just from you. I mean, your parents don't, did they, did they know about, you know, financial aid and all that stuff and FAFSA and so on, or were you really just digging through um, all that stuff on your own through high school? Yeah, I don't, I, I learned about it very late. So they, yeah, they didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, yeah, it wasn't until, you know, basically I said, Hey, mother's, uh, the scholarship that I got pays for everything. I just basically have to pay for food and housing, you know? So 
that to me it, it was like the most logical thing to do like cool. it wasn't a thing yeah. so you get to iowa state you're a freshman you're, you are you a committed mechanical engineer yet uh no so that's also a funny conversation so um <laughs> i just kind of happened to get into engineering um because really i asked i would ask my counselor um what uh, what degree can i get that get makes me the most amount of money in the least amount of years um and he was, it was I, I i i think i was engineering undecided for like six months and then we had another conversation and it's like okay well which one is the broadest engineer? And he was like, probably mechanical. It's like, all right, let's do that. Like that was literally my thought process at the time. I had no ambition as far as like, oh, I really want to be a mechanical engineer and all this stuff. It was, I honestly just kind of really fell into it. Yeah. Um, I really had, you know, you know, there's people out there that oh, you want to be a doctor, want to be a doctor, you know, their entire lives and they go and do that. I never had that. So it was always trying to me figure out from a logical point of view, which I think attest to the engineering part of me, right? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's what's the most logical thing for me that, you know, I, I would be good at and it would be interesting work. And that's funny, right? I always wanted. I was going to say, for, you know, you there was some financial kind of hook there. I and mean, for you, it happened, mm-hmm. again, you're, you're talking, this was right out of high school, right? So you're what, eight, 19, 18, 19 years old when you're, mm-hmm. when you're thinking money and dollars and so on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause for me, I mean, and for me, there was the same decision, but it was, I had family and stuff. So it's kind of interesting to, to say, okay, you're, you're 18, 19 years old and you're thinking, you know, as logical as an 18 and 19 year old could think. But again, it wasn't from this passion of, uh, you know, uh, again, so-and-so was a mechanical engineer. Or I want to go design this and the other it was just, if I'm hearing you correctly, it was just literally practical, and the salaries are going to be good, and it's going to be the broadest. So, okay, here we go, mechanical engineering. It was like that, basically. Yeah, I mean, my my old oldest brother. So I have an older brother, older sister, and a younger brother. Yeah. My oldest brother, we're really far apart. So, um, my younger brother is eight years younger than me. My older sister is eight years older than me, and then my older brother is four years older than her. Wow. So between my older brother and my younger brother, it's twenty years. Okay. So we were all very far apart. My oldest brother, he went into um, the military. He was in the Air Force. And um, so he did that and then wanted to transition to, you know, medicine. Um, but, you know, that ended up going in a different direction. And uh, my sister, um, she was uh, at that time going into uh, like the junior college, the community college there in Joliet. Uh, but she was always like, like side jobs type thing. So it wasn't, she didn't really have like, Hey, I want to be, have this career. Um, she does have one now, but at the time, um, that wasn't a priority, you know, really for her. Okay. Um, so no technical engineering type experience. I didn't, I never knew an engineer growing up or anything like that. So Cool. So you're, you're, you're a freshman. Well, I guess it's still, you were undecided at this point or at some point you declared mechanical engineering. Yeah, and uh, I declared mechanical, and what was cool about um, Iowa State was there was uh, like a Latino community there, which is kind of weird because it's Ames, Iowa, middle smack dab in the middle of Iowa. Yeah. Um, but it's like, oh, you saw like a brown brown person on campus, you like gravitated towards them. And the, there is a joint uh, ship, Maya's chapter there, and they were very close uh, with the Latino uh, fraternity and sorority. Uh, the, so the Signal Land Betas and the, the Signal Land Campus, I think it was. 
And so it was this, this little community of people that, yeah, we were in Iowa, but every single Hispanic, Latino, Latino, we were all like together. It was like a, a really close community. Uh, we were, you know, going to the same, you know, parties and events. Um, and, and so I really enjoyed that part of it. Uh, and, and I mean, that's the where I got introduced to, to Chef Amaya's and like all the stuff that they could do um, as far as like helping the community. Um, I was part of like the, the first Lego league um, just as a kind of volunteer helping like a middle school, you know, down the street, yeah. um, you know, for this competition. So, so, it, really cool. so eventually you get to San Antonio, University of Texas, San Antonio. So let's, can you help, help, help get me there? So my, my first year at Iowa was, was pretty rough. Um, it was first time away from, from home. And, uh, but I had this, you know, remote family there and, uh, actually one of, uh, you know, friend that I just met that year, uh, ended up being really close friends. You know, we would always hang out at our place. He ended up, um, uh, passing away in a fire. And so it was like a really traumatic thing. It was like the first, you know, death, um, that I experienced. Um, and then I remember hearing the news and I was just kind of in shock. Like I had no emotion to it. Um, nobody that I've ever I never experienced that growing up. Wow, I didn't know this and, part part of the story, Peter. Yeah, yeah. So this this is you know kind of the transition, right? So um, he he ended up you know passing, and um, Edgar uh, been that um, awesome dude. You know, like never never met a stranger. Great laugh. You know, uh, he was from from Puerto Rico, and um, maybe about a week later, um, my uh, my grandfather ended up passing away. And so then that's where all the tears came. I was like, whoa, like they had these two deaths were very um, quick from, or very together. You know? Yeah, they were back and to back. So that, they were, they were relatively yeah. close. And on top of that, it was like during uh, midterms. Okay. And so it was just, um, I was like, you know what? I, need, I just need some time off. I just can't handle it. Um, I went to my professors and they're like, if you, you know, if you don't take this, like we're, we're going to fail you, you know? Um, I went to my counselor and he was, uh, to this day, uh, Doug Beck, I think he works out of A&M now. Um, he was like, you know, Peter, um, do what you need to do. You know, um, school will always be here, you know, for you. And, um, I really took that to heart. And so I ended up, um, uh, essentially dropping out and just kind of taking, um, like a year off really. And uh, that's when my mom at that exact time, she was moving to, um, San Antonio. Uh, my parents had gotten a divorce, and so she wanted to be closer to Mexico. And um, I was like, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. So that that was my transition of just needing some time to be back with family and, so, and try to you know pick myself up. Yeah. So in that family is what I needed. Yeah. In that time, um, was it just was it just time, or did you were you talking to anybody? Were you seeking any kind of help, or did you just? Deal with it the way it Mexicans do, which is not talk about it and just internalize hold it. Hold it in, man. Hold, hold it in until they bury you in the hole. You know? <laughs> I mean, we're laughing, but, no. but I think it is a a a gap. Maybe I don't know. I mean, culturally, because uh, I, I just I, I didn't know this part of the story, Peter. I didn't plan on talking about this, but I do think it's it's, it's worth kind of talking about. Like, hey, in hindsight, was there something you would have done different or versus what you did, or what was that? How did you deal with that? You know, I just didn't know. Like, I really didn't have anybody to give me advice or anything like that. Um, because, yeah, like you're saying, like you're, you're Mexican, you don't talk about your feelings or emotions or anything like that. Right? Um, and so I just in my mind, just again, trying to think what's the most logical thing. Like, you know what? I, I just need time off. Mm -hmm. So 
um, it, the timing just happened to work out and, you know, being with my mom, you know, she lost her dad. Right. So it's, it was, I think, uh, just good for us to be together. Um, and it, it, if I were to do anything different, I don't think so. Um, because basically what ended up happening is, um, you know, applied to the local you know, university of Texas, San Antonio. And I, I kind of had to start over a little bit. Okay. Um, just because this trans school and credits and all this kind of stuff. And so my first year at UTSA, I hated it. Uh, I just thought like, what, what's, what are these things called Texans and why don't they speak Spanish? Everybody speaks Spanglish. So <laughs> from, from that, I always thought that was so interesting. Like all me and my peers in high school, like in Midwest, you know, outside of Chicago, we all, we all spoke Spanish. Huh. Uh, but when I went to, when I was in San Antonio, um, not everybody spoke Spanish. And I just thought that was so odd. Like you're so close to Mexico. How come people don't know Spanish? And it wasn't until I took a course that, um, what was it called? Uh, I think it was, it was like a, uh, in, intro to Texas history or something. It's one of those mandated courses in Texas. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, You're going to shove Texas history down your throat the minute you cross the, yeah. the border. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember there was a book, um, what's it called? Uh, Lies my teacher told me that I always thought it was interesting. And my teacher told like, uh, a professor was, was talking about that book and it was talking about, there was a lot of racism, um, in, in, in Texas and in the South that, yeah. um, because the parents didn't want, uh, you know, their kids to experience that they never talked in Spanish. So that they would only know English. So you know, people say it's like, it only takes one generation for language to be lost. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is, this is a different kind of people out here. But that first year was rough. At UTSA, trying to cope with different culture. Do you new, remember new school? Do you remember what year that was? I don't. Man. Yeah. Um, See, in the back of my head, and, and I guess I, again, uh, you know, one thing that's in the back of my head, and I did this with Gabe too, and we talked like trying to pinpoint when we've met. Although you and I have recently had this conversation, we were at Ship National Conference, and and we 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 always get yeah. a little bit more into the story every year that we see each other. But anywho, but I was just trying to see. Uh, how long before you and I met you were at, at UTSA. So you, 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 you went to UTSA, you hated it. You had this history with the UT, with the Myerson ship from Iowa State. I know eventually you got involved here at UTSA, but was it immediate? Did you gravitate towards that to help you transition or was that, when did that happen at UTSA? No, like, so it wasn't right away. Um, it, it took a while and it's almost like, uh, let me just focus on my academics. Like uh, I, I was trying to take that, you know, pretty seriously because of, you know, what, what had happened at Iowa and all that mess. Um, and so I focused on that for a very, very long time. And the first time even Shepard Myers even like popped up was there, the IEEE. So the, that electrical engineering society, um, there was a guy from, um, that was like the president of IEEE he that was like the first Mayas meeting i think and he was trying to start up Mayas. and uh his name was uh benito i don't know if you remember benito garcia he was um just a really cool dude he's like he's starting to starting to start this up and i was like okay like i remember you know being a part of this in iowa like i'll help you just uh let me like, email me he's like oh yeah i'll email you um this was like in the spring he never emailed me or called me and okay. so like that was like that one meeting one and done and the thing was the reason i found out later uh was he ended up getting an internship with Anheuser-Busch. And I was like, what? Like, what, what can you do as an engineer at your company? Like, so because of him and his experience there, it just kind of opened my eyes. 
um, because that fall was the Maya Symposium in Houston. And so I went up to him and said, like, hey, remember me? Like, you never got back to me about, you know, starting this group. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I got this internship. And we started talking. And um, at the time, I had, no, I had no idea what the Maya Symposium is. Like, what is that? And um, the, the deadline already passed. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. It's like down the road. There's some people that were going. And uh, I remember telling my mom, it's like, hey, there's, so there's this thing um, that I think it's, you know, there's like a thing, a career fair. And I think they, you know, teach you about like what, what jobs are out there for engineers. But like the deadline already passed. Uh, but, and my mom was like, just call, like, just do it. And it's like, well, it's like, I think it was like a hundred some dollars or something. And yeah. she's like, no, go ahead. Like, you know, she'll, she'll pay for it. And I was like, okay. Um, and so I ended up calling uh, Will uh, Davis. I didn't know who Will Davis was at the time. <laughs> okay. And Shout out to Will on again. I, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I remember uh, calling uh, this guy that had this, uh, like, I don't know, he just sounded so mean on the phone. Um, but he's like, yeah, sure. You know, come, come down, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll you know, let you register. So yeah, we, I drove, uh, we drove out there and, um, it was, I was like the youngest person there, like from the school, everybody else were, were seniors uh, about to graduate with their electrical and computer engineering degrees. This was, uh, in, and this was, was symposium in, in El Paso? In Houston. In Houston. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Houston. Yeah. So I think that was, I want to say 2006, 2007, something like that. Okay. Um, and yeah, it was like any, you know, incoming freshman, sophomore that has never seen, uh, you know, anything of that magnitude. It's much bigger than you know, a lot of uh, college uh, career fairs, things like that. Um, but it was quite the experience. Like just that was kind of my introduction. Hey, there's a thing called, you know, my there's a thing called internships and co-ops, and it was like that year. It's like okay, I, I think I can, I can do this. You know, I, I, I like this stuff. Okay, so you knew about Myas and Ship from Iowa State, but you you just knew about it. You really got and understanding the benefits once you got involved at UTSA. Okay, that's that. That's uh, that's interesting. And so you went to this symposium. Did you did you did you get something while you were at symposium, an internship or something, or was this just getting the ball rolling with with your involvement? So I think I was I was very lucky. Um, so there, I, I talked to literally like the first um, what do you call it? Like the uh, first person, first company I went to go talk to at the career fair was uh, P and G Procter and Gamble, mm-hmm. and uh, I had my resume. And, and I, I found that old resume, um, like about, I think it was last year, <laughs> two years ago when I was like updating the resume. Uh, and I found that first resume that I made. Um, and I was like, man, I would never hire myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is it horrible. Was, it, it was just like, oh, you know, I just had like little design projects. I had no experience whatsoever. And uh, I remember talking to this guy, Procter & Gamble, and um, kind of, you know, I knew I had to do some sort of, you know, elevator, you know, pitch, but I didn't even know that was what it was called at the time. I just like knew I had it. Like, hey, you know, I don't have a lot of experience, and uh, but I, I would be interested to work for you, blah, blah, blah. And at that time, you have this impression of oh, all these cold corporate companies, like they're not human. And there was this guy who was from from uh, from Mexico City, and he was hearing me out, and he's like, all right, all right hold up here. Took me to the side, and he's like, look, um, let's start over. This is this is cool. Um, but I need you to speak with confidence. Like be proud of what your experience is, whatever little, you know, it is, um, you know, tell me what you did, you know? 
And so he like really humanized uh, corporate America for me. He's like, wow, like there's good people that work at these companies. Mm. And I ended up, you know, uh, getting a, uh, an interview first time. I think it was probably the third interview that I did in my life. Um, so it was like the career fair later that day, I had an interview with Procter & Gamble for an internship. And I was just honest. And I was like, and, and, and blunt, you know, like, I don't have a whole lot of experience, but this is what I like to do and all this stuff. And uh, I ended up getting uh, an offer for um, an internship. And they, it was, they flew me. And I was like, this is all right away. Uh, they flew me out to, it was in Delaware. And okay. I was like, I didn't even know what Delaware was. Like, <laughs> and this is like the first time I'm like on a plane and I'm on my own. And they, I, I had to rent a car. <clears throat> and because I was under, you know, under, I think it's under 25, like you're not allowed to rent yeah. a car. But because it's like on the corporate, you know, dollar, um, you know, they, it's, I guess they bypass that. And so here I am um, in, I flew into Baltimore. So there's no airport, I guess, in, in I think in Delaware or no, or like a big airport. So the closest one is Baltimore. Okay. Flew in there, rented a car, drove somewhere I've never driven before to go to the Procter & Gamble factory that was out there um, where they made uh, baby wipes. It was, I think about it now, it's like kind of a crazy experience, but all that from talking to one person, them giving me advice yeah. uh, on just being more confident in my, my skills and experience. That's pretty awesome, man. And it's kind of like, hey, again, your, your first experience and you flying and getting out there. And you, and you did that uh, internship that that uh, the summer, was it a co-op or what? No, so here's, you know, yeah, life's crazy, right? So here's the thing. They gave me the offer. I flew out there. Uh, it was like an overnight stay. And so there was somebody that took you out to dinner that night. I think we went to like Applebee's or something. And the guy, I mean, to this day, I still remember him. Uh, like just one of the funniest dudes uh, ever. He just reminded me of Dave Chappelle. That's all I remember. And he was just super cool, uh, young guy. So I think that's probably why they like connected us is he was one of the younger guys there. And he told, told me kind of how it is, you know, like, hey, you're going to be working with people and, you know, uh, we did a factory tour. I mean, the place smelled amazing because it's like baby wipes, right? Yeah. So, uh, but it, the, I got to see all the machinery that takes to, you know, have that product. And I mean, the thing that cuts those things into little squares and sh shoots them out is, uh, it's amazing. It just literally shoots these things into a fan that's just going at who knows how many RPMs. And they have this in this like really, really thick, clear box. And it's literally shooting these sheets. It cuts it. I mean, it's just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, again, I'm getting these little peeks into, you know, what an engineer could do. Um, what ended up happening is they ended up um, shutting down the, the intern program. So I, I didn't get that experience, actually. Um, but I, I had uh, actually a, a research uh, experience, kind of like in my back pocket. Like, um, that's what I was originally going to do, is going to do some research. Okay. Um, and I got that opportunity uh, through the LSAMP program. Yep, yep. Uh, and uh, that's where I ended up. I ended up not doing an internship, and I ended up going to UT Austin uh, and doing biomedical engineering research. So just to kind of bridge that gap, again, chemical engineer, I had this opportunity in manufacturing, uh, but I ended up doing biomedical um, research because that was another thing. It's like I, don't, I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? So yeah. you know, going back to what's the broadest kind of engineering, um, in mechanical, like with mechanical, you can transition to biomedical. You can transition to aero or manufacturing. Yeah. So you start getting involved with Maya. Right. Let's go back a little bit. I kind of want to explore you becoming an officer and how that happened, and 
and and look in the last conversation I had with Gabe, we talked about how you approached him. So I kind of I'd like to hear that kind of story from your from your angle. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was just hey, let's let's all get together. Like I, I remember how cool it was for there to be like uh, a community at, at a university where you could you know, help each other out. And I think I wanted to you know mimic that at, at UTSA because it really wasn't. Uh, um, a whole lot of uh, uh, organizations like that. Um, a lot of them were more broad. And so that, that's kind of what I would just, anybody that I would find out, um, you know, hey, come on, come to a meeting, come to a meeting, you know, let's all get together. <laughs> so it was more of me kind of like rallying up people to just get together. Hmm. And you became, you were you were an officer at this point? I know eventually, so, <laughs> so, so the part that I don't realize or don't know is if you ever held like, office at UTSA, right? In my head, what I remember is, you know, you and I being, you know, uh, being on the uh, student committee for Mayas, right? Nationally. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I ever was. <laughs> you, just by, um, you just bypassed it. like uh, I did. Oh, I do remember that. I remember it's like, I, I, I like getting everything together um, and organizing it more through influence, yeah. you know, than the actual position. And um, yeah, I think that can, that transition very quickly from that to when I met you, which I think, I remember, I want to say it was Dallas. It was. It was the, uh, the, the uh, what was it, the Leadership Conference, NLC at the time, right, National Leadership Conference. Yeah. Uh, it was Fort Worth or, you know, Dallas slash some town. <laughs> so so I remember, like, being on the shuttle. Like, we, we went from a shuttle to um, the location, right? And I remember seeing you in the shuttle, and I was like, this proud Mexican guy. I bet you he's going to the same place I'm going to. <laughs> from the, you're talking from the airport. Yeah. Yeah. From the airport. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we were, we were there and it was, they're having the elections for national student representative, I think. And at the time, like that's when they decided to have two, like one for I think programs and then one for um, operations. And so do you know, do you remember who the the, per, the other NSR was? No, I don't. It was Alma. Oh, at the time when you, yeah, you, Alma, and then um, who was the, the national student, the NSR? Adrian. Adrian, yeah. from He yeah. was from Iowa State, right? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I think he did go to Iowa or something like that. Anywho. Yeah. Because at the but time, yeah, I, was, was... I mean, I was a freeloading pizza eater who happened to hear about MLA and somehow... Alyssa and mm -hmm. I got a couple of pennies together and I got, you know, ended up going to, to this, uh, getting involved with Mayas, you know, I don't think I was president yeah. at this point yet at SAC. I think it was after, you know, you go to these conferences and you come out all, you know, chock full of, of, of motivation. And then that's when I committed to being president. I did president thing. And then, cause mm -hmm. that was that following year, right? The following term is when I ran, you were NSR. And then I ran for one of the vice seats, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I was in that following year. Um, and again, I, I just, I like doing that stuff, you know, just organizing things, and, uh, you know, making sure things get done. And, yeah. Cause, uh, that's fun. And I guess on my first impression, right. So I don't, I remember us interacting in the shuttle. I think you asked me, or you said something. It was like, yeah, you know, I can't remember. I do remember the shuttle. I don't remember how we must have not talked much. You may have. No, asked I don't about, think we talked at all. I think you don't. Okay. So then, or maybe I saw you and then later, so, you know, I'm, I'm at MLA, I see all these professionals, 
I see all these students and they'll from, you know, I, I knew you were from UTSA. Granted, at this point, I'm at San Antonio College and the whole idea is you go to SAC and eventually you go to a big show, you go to UTSA. In hindsight, that's kind of funny to say that, you know, considering UTSA is not necessarily the big, big show, but that was the, that was the thought process in my head at the time, right? Like, mm -hmm. like this is a student from UTSA and this is, you know, he's, 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 uh, involved and I could tell and I think when I when I came and talked to you you were talking from my vantage point pretty confidently I think it was Will or you were talking with some professionals and so I was like mm -hmm. this is this is different like this is a college I'm like oh crap I'm like like what did I get myself into all these people are you know polished and I felt a little bit out of my league uh was like I, I remember that vividly as one of my first impressions of uh, of uh, going to a Mayas event Right. I, I think I did the classic thing where I had no idea what I was doing, no pre-work. I just showed up because I heard it was an opportunity, but really didn't know what that meant. But uh, but anywho. Yeah, that's 90 percent of it. Right. Just show up. Yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, it's, that's key. I mean, just get out there and um, talk to people. And I think uh, I remember from from my point of view, I was like, oh, this like, you know, you're you're a little bit older. Uh, I remember. And I remember. Like yeah, you, you spoke very well. Uh, and it's like, oh man, this guy really has like a he's a sharp guy. Um, but I do remember that that first time. And so we end up running for national office together, and the, that's and I I think that's when we really got to start getting to know each other, right? And starting to interact more. And we were both going to UTSA and stuff. And 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 I told Gabe, hey, there's a whole bunch of things that we're not going to talk about on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but that Vegas stories. Yeah, oh, yeah it's, he said the same thing. He goes Vegas, and I'm like, look, a lot of things happen in Vegas. It was it was fun, right? Uh, but we don't have to go there just yet. Um, but it really, right? It was through 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 getting involved in Mayas, doing the national office together, uh, and and then we went. You know, we we had some classes. Eventually, we had some classes. We were on senior design together, and I remember. That, yeah, I, I don't. There was. It wasn't always peaches and cream. Not that we ever fought, Peter, but I don't think it, there, there was a healthy uh, tension in some like uh, in group situations, right? Like when we were having to be on the student committee together, and we were having to be on on senior design. I mean, we were both we, we both have strong opinions, right? We both uh, like to yeah. well, to I, lead and stuff. So, I, I, what, what's your take on that? I see. I, I think this is why I think we we work really well together because we're so different in like our thought process, and I think we because we have a, a good a great amount of respect for each other, like that's what makes you know a team successful, and so yeah, we're we're both you know opinionated and we're both have our our, our ideas, and but it's always been I think um, you know from my point of view it's always been with respect, yeah. and I think because we have that trust we have that respect. Um, that's why we've, I think we've, whenever we've worked on something, it's been successful. Um, you know, I'm open to hear what your, your thoughts and beliefs are. And I, you, you did the same to me. Um, so the, the thing that's, uh, I, I was wondering if you're going to bring this up on our senior design, um, because, uh, Hey, you know, many talk fans, um, Manny and I basically almost failed senior design. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I mean, it was a low point, man. Like it was, and, 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 and oh, man. it was, it was. Yeah, we definitely learned a lot. We all, I almost did not I almost did not graduate. And and and, and I, I remember you us talking because we were in a group of four. And uh, yeah, it was like we're we need to do something and you're like, look, I am not gonna fail. <laughs> it's like we're gonna we're gonna do whatever we need to happen. And 
I was actually, I, it was, it was in the, in December, right? So I had already gone on vacation and then I get a phone call from Manny saying, Hey man, um, so we need to come back and we basically need to do senior design in the two week break and present, um, in order to not fail. And I'm like, what? So it, it was, um, a very unique, uh, circumstance. Uh, we worked, I think every single day we went to your apartment, um, Super early, super long days. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I remember that was the first time I had um, coffee. I, n- I never drank coffee, <laughs> but I was, I was like, for me to be awake at this early, and um, it was the first time I, had, I think it was a uh, caramel macchiato. I ended up having like a triple shot cup of uh, uh, caramel macchiato. Never ordered anything from Starbucks. That was like the first time uh, because yeah, these were long days, like getting getting all this all these deliverables done. And, yeah, essentially we had um, to redo yeah. 16 weeks of work in the break. And then we had a meeting with the professors like the first week of the spring semester. And, you know, it was, yeah. re, you know, represent and re, you know, visit everything. And, and that was going to be the difference between, nope, you got to take senior one again. And then I would have had to, I had already accepted an offer from Exxon at that point. Yeah. Right. So I was supposed to be in Baton Rouge. Like I was like, there's no way we're going to fail. And look, and I'm not, and it was, if anyone's imagining that this was like perfect leadership and you just rallied everyone, no, this was like emotional and like, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. It was desperate and like, and it was not definitely not the finest moments, but it definitely became probably the subject of, uh, of, uh, of behavior based questions. Tell me about a time when you had to overcome. Oh, so yeah. Let me tell you about we, we got a lot of material. Yeah. <laughs> we, and, and look, and we say that laughing, but between, are uh, uh, you know the some of the friction that we had or, or whatever whatever you want to talk about professional conflict right whether we were on the national student mm-hmm. committee together senior design uh, there was it was the source of a lot of experiences that I know I was able to leverage to talk through and and to kind of formulate my narrative whenever I was interviewing uh, with companies right I certainly remember vividly my interview with Exxon Mobil involved working through being mm-hmm. an officer in mice and so on. And so look, and, and you started to touch on, hey, we worked together so well on certain things that even when we became professionals, you and I got to co-chair, uh, right, uh, MLA or was it mm-hmm. still NLC? National Leadership Conference. I think it was still NLC in Washington, D.C., right? We were co-chairs and we got to uh, be on the other side and really put together the program and the competition and all that for, for, for that as professionals. So that was uh, really cool to do. Um, so look, I, yeah. and, and look, Pete, I'm looking at the time and this is awesome. We can, you know, we're, I'm probably gonna have to get creative and split this up into a couple of parts, but I still want to talk about, you know, at some point you get this awesome internship with Anheuser-Busch. I do want to, you to talk about that because that one, uh, the, the, the ambassador of flavor, or I forget what it was, but <laughs> <laughs> you had some, anywho, so I'll let you kind of tell the story of how you got there. And then, of course, we got to get to, we, you know, we spent about an hour talking already, 49 minutes if I'm looking at the recording here, and we still don't know what the hell you do today. So we're, we're going to have to get yeah, that. I know. So let's, uh, let, right, well. let's start getting to Anheuser-Busch. Hey, look, you've made it this far. And normally at that 45 minute to an hour mark, this is typically when a podcaster might say, hey, enough is enough. 
And look, as you can tell, there's probably more story left. And I had one of two choices. I could have big job this and really made it part one and part two. And all really all that does is make you wait another week before the other part of the story comes out. Or I can say, hey, these are some pretty smart people. And maybe you can I'll let you decide when and where you hit the pause button and come back and listen to the rest of it or continue listening. Um, I just didn't think it was right to split it up into two or to cut out part of Peter's story because I do find it interesting. Yes, maybe I'm a little biased. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. So at this point, uh, I have that research experience under my belt. So I did biomedical engineering research um, where I I say I I basically taught MATLAB um, how to do digital image processing. and from that, so I had that, I like that experience. And so I remember being at the career fair at my university. And um, I, I, be honest, like I just saw a pretty girl, um, you know, at the career fair. And so I just wanted to go talk to her. And she was telling me like about this experience. And I told her about my experience, gave her my spiel. And I got an interview, you know, based on that. And um, uh, it was, got, got the, the job. And it was, it was a co-op. So, I know that's not super familiar with everybody, but basically, you know, co-op, you take a semester off of school, um, and it's usually a lot longer, uh, either take the fall or, you know, spring semester off. So this was like a nine month experience for me, which, uh, was amazing. Um, and I was in the, um, the packaging part. So basically you have brewing and then you have packaging and a lot of like chemical engineers, let's say we'll go more into the brewing side, you know, more of electrical mechanical tend to go into the packaging. And I got this um, experience uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. So at their headquarters, um, this was before the Anheuser-Busch InBev merger, um, which was actually happened. The acquisition happened while I was there. Uh, so that was also kind of interesting to see from, you know, a student you know, point of view. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I basically was in charge of uh, new technology. Um, so, so anything like um, when, when the beer, uh, bottles are putting into a package. Uh, it's a machine. Sometimes there's mistakes. Sometimes a bottle doesn't get put in there. So there's a bunch of different sensors. And uh, that one is um, uh, was like an x-ray type thing. It could, it could sense whether something wasn't there or was there and it would kick it out. Um, when the beer gets filled, it has to be filled to a certain amount. You just can't tell it because it goes so fast. Uh, you just can't say uh, 12 ounces, 12 ounces, 12 ounces. Um, you, you literally put like this little fake bottle to measure uh, height basically. And so this thing um, would sense whether it was either an overfill or an underfill. And if it was over or under, that would get kicked out. Huh. And yeah, I think these bottles are going at that time, um, 1800 bottles a minute uh, at its fastest point in the oh, assembly or uh, in the production. And so it's just fast moving uh, product. And so you needed all these sensors, these really fast uh, eyes basically and, and to whether or not they're underfill, overfill, whether there's even there's a bottle where it needs to be a bottle or a can where it needs to be a can. Um, at that time, they had a machine that, uh, that would do, I don't know if you remember, the, the born-on date um, that, yeah. that Anheuser-Busch had this product. Yeah, they did. So I, I worked on that project where it was basically like an inkjet printer that would put in uh, that on the, under, at the bottom of the can. And the challenge was is um, like it's just going so fast. And so they actually – magnetize the can so that the ink attaches itself to it because it's going so fast. Uh, it was just super cool technology that I got to work with and I had to evaluate different systems and 
that that was probably one of my my uh, I got so much out of that experience because my manager was just awesome to this day one of the smartest people I ever met in my whole life and he just let me run with it he just gave me independence and say hey this is your project do it do it um, with it what, what you want to do with it um, you know I got to negotiate multi-million dollar contracts as a student which is insane uh, for you know equipment uh, and we had a uh, the best thing about that experience is we had a, a group project with all, all everybody was a co-op or an intern. Um, and we had one full-time person that was kind of a, our liaison to kind of, if we had any questions that we didn't know. And we basically had to optimize a package, um, their most popular package and try to figure out a different way to make it more sustainable. You know? hmm. And I love that project because, you know, I worked with, you know, I was on the engineering packaging side. I worked with somebody in brewing. I worked with somebody in, in the lab for R&D. I worked with somebody in accounting. I worked with somebody in marketing. So it was a cross-functional team. And I kind of took, you know, the, the lead on that. Um, and I just I just loved that that dynamic working with people. And that's when I realized, like, okay, like, this is what I can do with an engineering degree. I, I, this is what I want to do. Um, I fell in love with it. And so there was, did you travel with this internship? I did, yeah. So uh, I, I had projects at different uh, breweries. So there's at the time, there's 12 breweries in the U.S. And so I'd gone to, I went to, I remember the one in Fort Collins, um, just north of Denver. Uh, there's one in Fairfield in California, um, Houston. So I'd have these little projects where you, know, you, you kind of test, pilot test a lot of new stuff at different places before you take it to St. Louis. It was kind mm-hmm. of the thing. And so, yeah, I got to you know, work with customers, uh, with some suppliers, um, evaluating equipment, basically. And, and I would then, you know, kind of give my report out of, hey, this is my recommendation. We should stick with what we have or we should go down this path. Uh, I got to go. So there's a, this idea of a sales engineer, you know, popped up. It's like, what is that? So it's somebody that can uh, has that technical background, but can talk uh, and have good communication skills. And I just thought that was so interesting um, because they were the fun people to hang out with. Um, they would, they gave me uh, like tickets to go see the the Cardinals, you know, Cubs game. Like I got uh, uh, what do you call it? dugout seats, yeah, which was insane. Um, you know, being there, and I'm like the one Cubs fan uh, amongst a bunch of Cardinals fans. Um, so it, it was it was such a cool experience. I, I got I got to. But what was um, the thing? And I, do I don't know if I'm the one that called you the ambassador of flavor or something like that. But didn't you have a so, a thing where you were encouraged yeah. to like randomly try? products here and there yeah this uh, this program doesn't exist anymore for probably obvious reasons <laughs> but it was because peter, uh, peter broke it, was, it. <laughs> no it was this ambassador program where you got this black card you know this black uh like basically a credit card yeah and uh it was loaded every month i can't remember maybe like 400 500 bucks a month or something and so you went through a class and so what, what the whole the whole idea of it was from a marketing point of view was okay if you're out you know at a social event at a bar a restaurant or something and you see somebody drinking let's say a miller miller white or something and you you were, you were encouraged to go up to the person and say hey you know have you ever you know tried you know a bud light or whatever equivalent of what they're having what we what's on our you know at the time product line and so then you're encouraged to buy them a beer so it, it was that that kind of part to switch people from from one product to an enhancer push product yeah um and so you're giving these to co-ops and interns and there's like 22 of us at the time. And so we're like everybody's best friend at the bar. Yeah. No, cause I, I remember, and I remember hearing this. And of course, again, this is from the eyes of a, of a, 
of a college student. I'm like, what, what, what am I doing wrong in life or my internships <laughs> do not sound nearly as cool. And I remember because I think we, we again, it must have been at a, at a Mayas event or something like that, because that's typically when we when we see each other or whatever or, or somewhere in there. I'm like, you, you, you pull down this black card. And I'm like, what is this about? And again, it just it, it was very um, it, it seemed awesome. It still sounds awesome now. Uh, I, I can't uh, imagine why they got rid of it, but uh, anywho, all right, it just costs so much money. Four <laughs> yeah. hundred—that's a—that's a lot of beer. So yeah. you get. Uh, let, let's start working our way to to currently to Caterpillar, and I'll let you, however you want to do that, either lead up to it or just tell me what you do now. Yeah. We can work our way back, but let's start. Let's start peeling that uh, that onion. Yeah. So I mean, I always like to, especially when I'm talking to students, uh, explaining my very diverse background um, by you know, choice and happenstance, I guess you could say. So I've done the research, I was biomedical. I did the manufacturing, which was, you know, more project management type stuff with Anheuser. Um, I had worked for um, a manufacturer, parent overhaul place uh, in the aero, aerospace industry. And so like out of each, all those experiences, um, I learned what I really liked and I learned what I really hated. You know, I didn't like how slow the aerospace industry was. It's rightfully slow um, um, because of safety and all this kind of stuff. But yeah. out of each one of these experiences, I learned what I, I what I hated and what I loved. Um, and you know, you heard me say that you know I loved working with people um, and getting like a project done, you know, finding a solution, working together. Um, and so taking you know what I've liked and what I you know didn't like, and um, I was uh, I was at a sh- it was I think it was yeah a ship conference. I don't remember where. Um, never would have thought, you know, I'd, I'd work for Caterpillar. It wasn't on my radar, but I got to talking with one of the recruiters and she was telling me about, you know, her job. And I just thought, well, like that, that's such a, sounds like it's such a cool job. And it's essentially my job that I have today. So just, you know, I, I was able to actually get to this point. Um, but it was this idea of, hey, you're in the field and you don't go into an office every day. Um, it's a lot of travel. And you're trying to, you know, solve problems. Um, and so I just thought that was that's amazing. Like I like this idea of not being in a cubicle kind of thing. Um, now it took me a little over four years to get here uh, of being in a cubicle, but um, it, it was it was part of that process. Um, and so I originally um, uh, got slotted to what we call technical marketing is is the area, and. Essentially, you're, they're looking for people that uh, have that technical background, uh, but also good soft skills, communication skills, um, because you kind of function as a liaison um, within corporate and um, the dealership. So to kind of explain that a Caterpillar, if you want to buy a piece of Caterpillar equipment, you know, uh, large, small, medium equipment, engines, anything from us, uh, you have to go to your local dealer. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, you know, want to go buy a Ford truck, you go to the dealership, you don't go to the factory, right? And what's what's uh, interesting about Caterp- the Caterpillar dealership network is they're all protected territories. Mm-hmm. So if you're in, um, you know, if we're in LA County, uh, you would go to Quinn Company. That's the local area, local dealership that uh, has almost probably half, one half California. Um, if you're in San Diego, you go to Hawthorne Cat. That's the, the local dealer. These are all... Um, for the most part, family-owned businesses, and they get passed down from from uh, you know father to son or you know mother to daughter kind of thing. And it's such an interesting dynamic because you're 
you're that middleman, you're that liaison between corporate and, and the dealership. And the, uh, the relationship between corporate and the dealer is so unique. Um, cause I remember the relationship between Anheuser-Busch and let's say their distributors, um, similar, but different. I mean, they were always um, at each other's throats. If, if there was a corporate change, mm. uh, on a piece of equipment or product, uh, when it got to the distributor, like they had no say in it whatsoever. But the relationship between Caterpillar Corporate and the dealership is much more amicable. Or we strive to be aligned. Um, whenever we, we do any changes or new products, we we want their feedback. We you know because they're the ones that deal directly with the customer. At the end yeah. Of the day. Yeah. Um, and so when I when I started at Caterpillar, I was a um, application engineer uh, in the marine division. Um, so. Anything, any engine that goes into uh, a boat, whether it's from a tugboat to a super mega yacht, you know, that's, uh, we would uh, help with the, the application um, for, for, for whatever vessel. And so yeah. what I specifically did is I answered a bunch of technical questions uh, about these engines, how they would perform, um, what's the best kind of engine for a particular application um, before they were sold. So I had a bunch of people, uh, it was global also, so it was all... Um, all over the world, uh, trying to answer these questions and uh, give, uh, you know, the best answer as quick as possible. And I mean, if you remember, you know, as a mechanical engineer, I think almost in every school, there's like one chapter or one page of a, or one section on diesel engines. And <laughs> yeah. Like we don't, we don't really learn about diesels. Uh, and so I had to learn a lot. It was, it was, um, yeah, I basically had to become a subject matter expert in diesel engines. Um, and I did that for about four years. So I, I got to travel a ton of different places. Like all, I spent like a, my most notable was like over almost over a month in uh, in India. You know, just traveling around and working with the dealer there um, and doing training um, and you know seeing customers. And again, it kind of reminded me of that in the field job that I first heard about. And I really liked that. And so that's kind of what I was aiming to do as uh, my next role, and which is you know where I am today. And so my title. So, so let's back marketing. up. Let, let's let's mm-hmm. back up because I think you're rolling over. You kind of hinted at it, right? You said, "Hey, these diesel engines. You know, you're dealing with customers, and it could be tugboats, or it could be yachts. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what kind? Did you get to go do customer visits on yachts ever? Oh yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, I knew I mean, you did. I just wanted you to talk about it. Yeah, we can we can definitely uh, talk about it. I mean, it's it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Um, I mean, I, I've gotten to you know meet like the CEO of Hooters and monster and like all these like red bull and like all these crazy companies that have these ridiculous yachts yeah um because we would go twice a year to um the different boat shows yeah so there was the fort lauderdale boat show uh there was the miami boat show and uh, the work boat show uh, so those were miami florida and or um, fort lauderdale and new orleans so it's like party places basically um but it, it was it was just surreal like uh, getting to work with some of these customers um you know, from people like from Middle East, like all you had all these like uh, one of the crazy stories. One of the one of the sales guys was uh, showing off a uh, it was like a, a sport fisher. It was a huge one. It was like seventy five feet or something for a sport fisher. Yeah, and it had our engine in it, and so they wanted somebody there to talk on that. And uh, the sales guy, he was talking to uh, you know these people from the Middle East and. Um, He's speaking to the older gentleman. He's like, why are you talking to me? This is for him. And it's like a, a 12-year-old kid. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
And it's like, you never, you never know who your customer is. This, yeah. Um, so this it was 12-year-old with, cool. with the party fisherman liner or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anywho, I, I knew that, right? So that, that's kind of, that takes a, you, you were in customer service, but it's a, a relative customer service, I suspect, that came with a lot of uh, travel and some awesome uh, experience. You got an eye on a yacht? No, man. That's, that's one a, thing. Like, like, it's so expensive. It's so, like, the, the, I have a lot of pictures where I'm, it's just ridiculous. It's where there's a yacht that has a submarine. It had a helicopter pad. It had, um, and on, on top of the, on the deck of the boat, it had, a, at the time, it was the Porsche 911 that was they, they electrified. Yeah. Like, there was only two made at the time. And you and saw one this of guy had it on his yacht. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So again, again, there's a pattern here, right? These, the, this just fell on your lap, huh? Just like the ambassador flavor thing. Now you, you get to go <laughs> out and be the uh, the service guy for Caterpillar on the on, on a on a millionaire's yacht. All right, so cool. So so anywho, I knew that little tidbit. I I think it's very interesting. It's cool. It just kind of speaks to the the kind of cool stuff that people get to do uh, and you would have never thought, Hey, this is what a mechanical engineer does. So let's get currently, what do you, what's your, what's your current uh, role? So um, my title is marketing and sales operations. Um, and so at first, at first when I heard about this opportunity, um, I was like marketing, like, why would I want to do marketing um, like that? But um, it's, it goes beyond, it goes beyond what I think most people understand as marketing. It's you know, not about flyers and things like that. It's, um, more about, I say people and processes. Um, so what I do is I look at, uh, the dealership as a whole and, uh, anything having to do with people or processes from, uh, so a dealership, there's, there's, there's part of it. That's about machine sales. There's a part of it that's about renting uh, equipment. There's a part of it. That's about the service in the shop. You know, so there's all these different units in, in a dealership. And so what I get to do is I get to look at the whole dealership as a whole and depending on what the goals and targets are for that particular dealership, um, I try to help them out in any way with, um, uh, any way possible within those areas. Yeah. And so every single dealership, uh, I cover three, one's out of Sacramento, one's headquartered out of LA and one's headquartered out of San Diego. And each one of them have like their own priorities, goals, and those are, you know, very aligned with Caterpillar's goals. And so and whether there's any way that I can uh, assist to improve any of those areas, that's kind of what I get involved in. It's very much in the gray. So for every dealer, I have different projects. It varies uh, from dealer to dealer um, just because of what their needs are, their gaps are. Some are smaller dealers, some are bigger dealers. Some are, um, you know, better with, with technology. Some are better with, you know, in the shop, things like that. So based on the strengths and weaknesses of, of the dealer, uh, I kind of slot myself into that. So it's very much from like an entrepreneurial kind of, uh, kind of job. Yeah, but and so again, this is, it, it kind of scratches all those itches for you, huh? But you, you mentioned the entrepreneurial ability to kind of play in that space, but also dealing with people and at the same time doing something a technical. Uh, so that's, uh, did you, do you feel like, you've had influence uh from getting from run role to the next or has it is it rotational or how how has that played out well it's it's like anything um that at least i like to communicate out to the students is like you you should have a target you should have a goal um but that path is probably going to take you zigzags you know yeah. before you get to to where you're, where you're at but that's just life right and so when i first applied for the job um, I didn't really know a whole lot about it, but I knew it was in that area. 
And at the time when I applied for it, it was in the springtime and um, there was a kind of like a, a hold on all wrecks just because, you know, you know how corporate America is like, okay, is there a financial crisis? Like, what's going on? Okay. Let's, let's stop all, you know, wrecks right now. Yeah. And so that job, I basically forgot about it for like six months or so um, because everything had to get VP approval. And so I got a phone call um, like from HR and like literally I might remember seeing the phone saying human resources. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to pick that up. <laughs> and it was this, uh, I was like, Oh, are, are you still interested in job? Right. You know, whatever number it was. And I was like, man, like, I don't even know what that is. Like that's kind of how it started. And um, it was, it was a really interesting interview because I got interviewed with um, the district manager and it was like a, a three panel, three person panel uh, interview. And it was somebody that had that job already. It was somebody that supports that job and it was the manager. Um, and so I did that and I thought that went pretty well. The second interview was actually with two people from the dealership. So, which is, I mean, Caterpillar Corporate is, is a, and, and a dealership, they're completely different companies in, mm-hmm. in the, from, you know, that, that point of view. So to get interviewed by the people that eventually I would support, I mean, it makes sense, but it was very odd. Um, that, and it was, I really thought I messed that interview up because a lot of the questions, uh, how I answered them was, I don't know, uh, but here's what I think I would do, you know? And so uh, later on, about a year later, you know, I, I'm working with these people, working with the dealers, uh, the, the people that um, interviewed me. And so we were just out, you know, uh, you know, having a couple of drinks. And I remember asking like, you know, like what made you, you know, pick me or, you know, for, for the job. And they told me, it's like, well, um, you know, we just liked, you know, how, you know, open and honest you were, like, we don't expect you to know the answers to, to some of these questions. Like, we don't know the answers to these questions. We're interested to know, like, what your thought process is uh, and how you approach a problem. Uh, and so I thought it was cool, but one that I could ask that question and that they, you know, they had, that was their answer. And it made sense. You know, it's, they're asking me very specific things about their industry that I had zero idea, you know, yeah. about that. Yeah. So look, and so in this, right, you're developing yourself. I mean, you get into this career, you're having to figure out what the job is. Uh, I want to talk about two things and I'll talk about this one first. It's like, Hey, so what would you say it was the biggest, like, uh, I guess transition that you had to make or thing that you had to adjust to, uh, once you were, you know, or since you, now that you've been a professional and making that transition from a student. Um, so I got, the way I got onboarded was, was kind of cool because the first three months, uh, it was kind of like extended college a little bit. It was, it was, this, it was a, I guess you could call it rotation, but is we essentially got an enterprise view, uh, of the company. We got to go to every different, almost, you know, all the factories and meet with different people. So that, that helped with that transition. Um, one of the people that I was with, uh, he ended up going along with me to, you know, on, on this next, uh, my first role, really the application job. And so I always had that friend, um, you know, that, that was always like with me. So that, yeah. that helped because if it wasn't for him being there, I would have not known anybody at okay. my, my first job. And so that was probably the biggest challenge is being in a brand new place, knowing zero people. Um, and, um, yeah, that was, that was probably the hardest part is like, you're, you're somewhere where you've never been before. You know, you're away from your family, you're away from your friends. Um, and just trying to, you know, understand your job, but everybody that I've always been kind of surrounded, uh, like, uh, professionally has, have always been, you know, really cool. I had a really good mentor. Um, you know, that was again, kind of a little bit younger, 
uh, of the group. And um, so there is always like that support group. I think that, that it helps a ton because people, I mean, they know where you're coming from. You know, they know you're, uh, you're young, you know, a lot of people are married, kids, all this stuff. Like they, it's a different lifestyle, but they understand that they're, they're there uh, at one point in their lives. So yeah. I've always been pretty, pretty lucky. Uh, to have that, that support. Uh, well, and, and you might, and look, and I'll, I'll fill this in and, and you might be downplaying it a little bit, but I think it, it's, it's, uh, it's give and take, right? I think people, once they see that you're going to, uh, like you're worth it, I don't know what else other words to use, but once they see that you're trying to figure it out, you're trying to make an impact, Hey, you, you're, you're trying to help solve some problems, then people are more, likely to to help you get through those bumps along the way right i think that's uh, my opinion is that there there's there the majority of people will help you once you're worth it there is a pocket of folks that will help you regardless uh but you can't necessarily always just rely on them right you have to do your part in order for someone to spend their valuable time in trying to whatever you want to call it coach you mentor you or you know just be be a good uh, uh working peer any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think uh, no, you, you hit it on the nail. I think uh, I think um, you know showing effort, right? Showing that you're yeah. that you're willing to learn and listen. Um, I think that's probably the, the most valuable thing I've learned is the power of listening. Um, you know, there's people that, that know a lot, and you know, I, as a, as a you know incoming engineer, you want to you know, solve all these problems and things like that. But um, I think one of the best piece of advice was you know. For like the first year, really, just listen <laughs> and and just listen to what um, you know your dealers have to say, listen to what your customers have to say, listen to what your um, your engineers have to say, yeah. um, and absorb it. So that when you do speak, you're you're coming from somebody that understands what, uh, or at least is, has attempted to understand with, with what's going on. Yeah. So along the way, somewhere you got involved with recruiting, right? So now I know I've seen you. Uh, now, uh, again, as we mentioned before, we go to ship events. We were just a national. You were there with Caterpillar. I was there with ExxonMobil. We're there working, but we're also, hey, catching up and, and, and hanging out or whatever. But so now you're a recruiter. And hey, this last time you also put on a workshop, uh, which is pretty impressive. How yeah. many people tell me about that workshop and, and had you done this already before for Caterpillar or is this, uh, relatively new? Yeah, I, I wanted to kind of continue being involved in, uh, you know, students and development and things like that. And so um, I think I've gone to four or five uh, ship conferences um, representing Caterpillar and I've done three workshops um, and they've always uh, kind of been like involving like career fair or got to get the best out of the conference kind of thing. Um and so I, I like doing that. I, I mean, yeah. we've worked together many about, you know, program development, competition development, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I really like, you know, doing that, that, that kind of stuff. And um, I made a, this past year, I made a workshop from scratch, um, just entitled um, how to give the, your perfect career fair pitch. And so this is the, the marketing side, right? It was placed on the strategically, you know, right before the career fair, um, and it was an interactive workshop because I remember I hated watching workshops from that were just canned presentations, PowerPoints, and they're just a commercial for the company. And so I've always, you know, kind of vowed to myself, like, look, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this where it's entertaining, uh, or you're going to get something out of it, you're going to get something tangible, you're 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 going to do an activity, you know, something instead of just PowerPoint. Uh, I always you know, hated that. So 
um, this this workshop I made was kind of like had a role playing exercise. Yeah. And so you would act as uh, you had a group of three. Somebody would uh, be the student, somebody would be the recruiter, and somebody would be the observer. And we would rotate, and everybody got the opportunity to play that student role and kind of give their their pitch. And uh, I threw them right into it. So I didn't I didn't give them a framework prior to that. I was like, all right, hey, if you have your pitch, great. If you don't, then maybe you should work on it. Like this is kind of um, uh, sink or swim a little bit. Yeah. And so it ended up being. Uh, I think the final count was like 172 students, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I was room anticipating only. 40 to 50. <laughs> no, I was standing um, room only. I remember, you know, I kind of peeked in and was like, okay, this is full. <laughs> yeah, they, the, I think they had like the fire marshal come in. I was like, you can't have that many people in here. So I thought that's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it was great. I was, I was super, super happy for the turnout. And it, and it makes sense. You know, it's like a, it's a little marketing uh you know, a pitch on the title, you know, getting, catching somebody's eye. Um, and I think it was, it was, I, I asked how many students there were, it was this their first uh, ship conference and it was like 90% of the room, which was awesome. So uh, got pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good reviews. Yeah. So look, and so, and you, you, you have mentioned and, and that you like getting involved with students and talking to them. And one thing I appreciate uh, about the, your approach is, is it's like, like no nonsense. Like we're just going to cut to the chase and, and kind of give it, give it the way that it is. Have you found yourself, like what's your most current, uh, and I know it's not just one piece, but one thing that you find yourself talking a lot about right now when you're giving advice either to a student or even a young professional, right? Because some of the audience here is, is both, right? Folks that have just gotten into their careers or people that are, or those that are students either getting involved or about to make the transition. So what, what is, uh, what has been, uh, I guess, more at the forefront of your mind lately? Yeah, lately um, I've, I've also, because I'm, I'm, so I live in Los Angeles, and so I'm very fortunate that there's so many universities uh, in that area. So I've been able to go and talk uh, and do that same workshop, or just you know do some some mentoring and things like that. Um, but one of one of those uh, things lately, it's you know your your degree does not dictate your career. Um, so you know, hey, I have a mechanical engineering degree, but I'm out here, um, you know, doing you know marketing and sales operation type stuff, which. I mean, heck, I'm in Hawaii right now. You know, it's like I never would have thought that I'd be where I'm at today. Um, given, I think, what the framework that universities push out there, um, and there's just so much out there, and there's so, there's there's jobs out there that we probably don't even know even exist. And the only way to find out what those opportunities are is to, to go out there, put yourself out there, and just talk with people. Like, at a certain point, it's a numbers game, you know, of just meeting people and asking them what they do, um, you know, it's where you got to get out of your comfort uh, zone. You know, it's there's there's no growth without you know uh, getting out of that that comfort and being uncomfortable. Uh, you almost have to be comfortable with becoming uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and then it's it's hard for sure, and especially uh, you know people that are more on the introverted side. But it, there's a lot of value in being able to uh, talk out there and ask questions and. Uh, be curious uh, because that's the only way that you can learn about what's out there is by by asking these questions and putting yourself out there going to that networking event that you, you know you're, you're hesitant to go just, just go even for a little while just talk with people and, and get to know you know other people and what they do it's for sure academics is always going to be you know number one but you know very close number two is um 
getting to know a uh, network and, and getting to know other people and seeing what they do. Yeah. And it's, and I like the way you put it. Then there is like a, not maybe not a perfect order to things, but it's stages, right? It's like, if you start off, Hey, you're a student, your head has to be in, in getting experiences, keeping academics, picking a, you know, a degree and have some kind of reasoning behind it. And yeah, eventually, yeah, once you become a professional, it's a completely different ball game, especially if you're trying to develop yourself or if you're trying to go from one company to the next, the set of requirements becomes a different. But I think you started hitting on something very valuable where it's like you constantly have to be getting yourself uncomfortable, continuously growing and improving and networking and meeting new people and trying stuff out. Otherwise, you find yourself uh, uh, you, you can find yourself stuck. But you also kind of talked about, hey, it's uh, you're, you, like I like the way you said it. Your degree doesn't dictate your career, but a career, it's something it's something long term. Like you have to uh, I guess one thing that I find there's a lot of young folks right now uh, that, you know, they're they're very interested in like, well, uh, yes. Uh, what is the quickest path to be a supervisor? What's the quickest path to be a lead designer? What's the quickest path? It's like, well, time out like. You don't even know how you don't even know what it takes to get there. You don't even really appreciate what the company does and whether or not it's somewhere you want to stick out. But how, do you have any advice around either slowing thought processes down or is that the way that it's going to be? What, what, what are your thoughts as far as, as folks in there, how fast they want to read something? Yeah, because I, I get it a lot of um, with Caterpillar, where people come up to Caterpillar and being like, I want to be a project manager. And it's like, I think like I know what they're asking. Like, but they have no idea what a project manager is. Right. Like they, they like the idea of it. Um, but before you can even get to that, there's, like you said, there's, there's a process to getting to, to those, um, to those things. Um, I, I have a, a new manager and, and he, he's put this in perspective in a, in a really neat way of, you know, if this is your, your, you know, when, where do you want to be in 10, 15 years and uh, whatever that is, let's work backwards from that. Like, so if I want to be a district manager, uh, uh, you know, at, at Caterpillar, which is one of the like top five um, uh, enterprise critical roles. So it's a, it's a very unique position. It's very hard to, to attain. So if I want to go and do that one day, it's like, okay, well, what's the pool of candidates that they look for, for that job? Okay. All right. From that, from that job, what's the pool of candidates for that other job? And you just kind of work backwards and, and it's, it's very methodical kind of way, and, yeah. but you need somebody there that knows what that what that looks like. You need somebody there that knows what that pool of candidates uh, you know are. Um, so it, there's uh, you know there's tremendous tremendous um, uh, value in having that manager that that understands uh, that career path um, because yeah you're not going to jump in and be a you know a lead supervisor in many many occasions you know you're gonna you know, kind of build that up, uh, you know, get to know more of the company so that you, you can speak intelligently about the different processes and how that job touches a bunch of other different jobs. Yeah, and I think there's this unicorn out there that people are hunting down where they're going to love 110% of everything that they do. And like I tell folks, like, I love where I work. If you say, hey, okay, do you like working next? I'm like, yeah, I love it. That doesn't mean that I have loved every single assignment or every week there isn't something I'm like, man, this kind of sucks that I didn't have to do this. I mean, there's elements of that, but I do know that overall, uh, I am learning something in this role or that one item that is that I, that I'm going to I'm glad when it's over and I never want to do again. I can, in hindsight, 
like retrospectively think and say, hey, I actually learned something. Either, hey, I never want to do that, or hey, I learned a new process, or hey, we had to go through that pain, and the way I never have to go through it again is by fixing something. So, but but it's not always peaches and cream, but I do, I think what gets me through that is having that longer-term vision of what a career is, and I love the way you said it, not because I'm figuring it out on my own, uh, but because I'm I'm getting help, right? Yes, I'm I'm, I'm actively involved. I'm self advocating and making sure I'm able to talk about what I do confidently and so on and so forth. But I am surrounded by people in my professional life as well as personal that kind of help me get through that. Uh, I guess the shorter time, the shorter term portions of the uh, of the journey or whatever. So. Again, my, my advice is always like those that are listening and, and I get this from either those that are listening or those that I meet at the recruiting table that are just like, how do I become an executive for ExxonMobil? It's like, man, time out. Do you even know what else other than gasoline we make? And you, they are like, they don't. <laughs> they don't. I don't. I, I know for, for a fact, if you were to ask me about Caterpillar, uh, I know that they do marine and I know that they do construction stuff, but there's probably a whole bunch of other stuff that they do that I have that that, that are not known, right? And so oh, for sure. I think people need to take, you know, have a little bit of humility maybe and, 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 and just slow it down, I guess is what I'm trying to, to, to get at. Um, so right now, do, do you do, are, let me back up. Do you ever see yourself being a supervisor, a boss, having people working under you, or do you currently have people working for you? Um, so right now, no, I, I don't, I don't have any direct uh, reports or anything like that. Um, I think I would want to do uh, like a, the same role or a similar role, but like maybe in a different area. Okay. Um, I think uh, international is, is an option. So I, I always think that that would be kind of fun. Um, and then maybe after that, you know, some sort of a leadership role, like these, these types of roles in the field are, are key yeah. in, in future leadership and supervisor roles um, because you're getting to know, you know, the, the part of the business you're getting to interact with, the people that actually use the equipment, you know, yeah. uh, to go put food on their tables. You know, it's, so it's, you're getting such a unique perspective that not everybody in the company gets. Um, so I, I, I really love what I do. Uh, and like you're saying, like, not, I don't love everything that I do. There's things that I hate doing, um, but the, the good outweighs the bad uh, yeah. tremendously. The freedom that I have, uh, the flexibility. Um, yeah, it's you, you, you can't put a, a price on that. Cool. Um and I think one thing I would want to stress to people is that uh, nothing's permanent. You know, it's like if you have to go and go do a, a rotation in, you know, Alaska or Iowa or, you know, maybe some of these places where you've never been to, you're far away. Like you're not going to be there for 10, 15 years. You know, you're going to be there for a couple of years and then you go and do something else. So I think there's some level of hesitation sometimes with, with students. They're like, oh, I don't I want to I want to stay in California you know, or I want to stay in Texas or something. And like, hey, it's okay to go out there and just try something out for a little while because, again, yeah, nothing's permanent. And, and especially in art, you know, we're very fortunate with our degrees that we can have these opportunities that can take us, you know, all over. For sure, man. Look, you've been very generous with your time. I'm looking and we've been talking for a good bit. But I always like to give, <laughs> uh, give you know, my intent is to give y'all, the, the guests, the last word. Any last pieces of advice or something that you... Um. I mean, we could talk for, for hours, you know, (laughs) so there's, I'm sure there's going to be another, you know, a part two and a part three to this. Um, But no, I think, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said by just, you know, doing active listening, I guess is the proper term. Uh, And I say like, if, 
know, go in there with an open mind, be, be willing to, to listen, be humble. And I think there's going to be a lot of value that, that comes back in your direction when you, when you do stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's kind of about it. Um, I did, you know, I, I started doing a, an Instagram that kind of f- flows off of this, you know, type of uh, conversation. Um, Oh, which is a uh, Peter is self-aware <laughs> is the, uh, the handle. Um, so yeah, if they're like, I think we're going to do multiple of these things and you know, maybe I'll, I'll get a podcast in the future and yeah. maybe you can be on there. Maybe. No, and look, and you were one of the first, when you saw me working on this little project, you were the one of the first ones that said, Hey, you know, let me know if I can help you out. And I was like, yep, I got to work my way up to, to interviewing and stuff. I certainly intend on, uh, on getting you back on some very targeted topics I mean, this one was a good one because, and I know we spent a great, and I think it's valuable, right, for for folks to kind of hear where you came from and what you did and then work our way up to career. And I kind of did a little bit of the same with Gabe, but my intent is to, I want to pick y'all's brain on some specific topics because I have my opinions and I know that we're all friends and and we're all part of a network, but we might have a variety of experiences, right, uh, when it comes to all kinds of stuff. And and, and so I, I look forward to having you uh, back on again. So again, Peter, thanks for getting on this phone call all the way from Honolulu. And uh, I look forward to our next conversation, man. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, buddy.